0: He seems just a little distant from his father. Apparently, that's not the case. And when he was on the witness stand, he was, you know, testifying about the guns and about... I don't know. I I, I don't want to judge anyone in that position, because it sucks being in that position. And granted, I was half his age when I was testifying, but even less than that. It feels like there is still this trauma hold over him, over the son, Buster. That's what I see when I'm looking at this kid. And I'm just like, his father still has a hold. I think it's the guilt and shame of the family. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Maureen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? happy friday february 24th it is a not so happy day here in southern california it is raining it is very cold and we had hail yesterday last night and uh all of the heating units uh hvac units at my building are all frozen over so there's no heat (laughs) i realize a lot of you are in blizzards and things of that nature but this is southern california we are not supposed to have blizzard temperatures hail craziness like that so that has definitely thrown some major salt in my game and for those of you that don't live in southern california or particularly los angeles it is a hairy place to drive in the rain because so many people i don't know where they come from when they come to the city they somehow forget how to drive in the rain so you add to that all the cold and potentially icy conditions they've shut down the freeway north of la i mean it's wild I, i don't know these are strange days for sure. Tuesday, February 28th is my birthday. So feel free to reach out, message me. I love hearing from you guys. Really stoked uh, that you guys are all a part of my life as I enter another year into doing this podcast and uh, another year of my life. I'm really, really grateful for it. So thank you for that. I am also really excited to announce that I officially have a Moving Past Murder and Call Your Landry official merchandise store on Shopify. You can go to my website, forward slash store. You can link up, you can buy all kinds of merch for the podcast. I've got some custom designs with my little Chihuahua, Marisol, adding more and more products daily for you guys to check out. I'm going to be offering discount codes for this as well. If you join my Patreon, there's a 10% off code for all your purchases on the online store. So I'm super excited because I've been talking about doing merch for so long, so please check it out. Moving on in today's episode. So to keep up with what's going on in the world, (laughs) uh, Alex Murdaugh, today finished his second day of testimony on the witness stand in his double murder trial. This is such a weird trial because I've been talking about it last couple episodes a little bit, and I've touched upon last week about the intergenerational trauma in the family and how the shame and and all of these things, all these factors have really seemed to affect not only this family, but this case, and obviously everyone around them, right? And there was just another documentary released a couple of days ago on Netflix, a docu-series about the Murdaugh's again, which wasn't that much different from uh, the previous one that I had seen, Murdaugh's Low Country, uh, the Murdaw Dynasty on HBO Max. But it, it did have like an interesting twist, which was this reporter that was added to the whole mix who was sharing some details. And one of the things that... so. Let me take this back a little bit. One of the things I've become really interested in, in this case, in particular, is the family, right? And of of course, this is a a mother who was murdered by the father, so the parallels are a little eerie. I think this guy's probably a narcissist and maybe even a little bit of a psychopath. I think probably. But I also think there's another factor that comes at play that n- I don't know if anyone's really talking about or not, but I'm gonna get to that in a second. So for me, this week, his son, Buster, testified on his defense, which was sort of odd. I don't know if he was being prevaricative or not. I, I had said in a few episodes ago that I, when I watched that HBO documentary, he's talking to his father at the end of the docu-series, and the new one on Netflix, spoiler alert, ends the same way with a phone call from his father from jail, but he seems just, a little distant from his father. Apparently that's not the case. And when he was on the witness stand, he was, you you know, testifying about the guns and about, I don't know. I, I I don't want to judge anyone in that position because it sucks being in that position. And granted, I was half his age when I was testifying, but even less than that, it feels like there is still this trauma hold over him, over the son Buster. That's what I see when I'm looking at this kid and I'm just like, his father still has a hold. I think it's the guilt and shame of the family that is again, this intergenerational trauma that I was speaking about before, which dates back to Randolph Murdaugh the first and this supposed train accident that they think is this potentially a suicide. I mean, there's so many, this is the, the interesting thing. There's like 2000 people in this small town. So of course, rumors run rampant, right? especially in now, you know, in today's day and age, right? You have the internet and all these things fueling, but it's interesting, but there's a couple of things that really stuck out in my mind. And this reporter was saying something to the fact of very shortly. And I remember seeing this on the other documentary because they mentioned it and I've heard it mentioned and I've been talking with friends about this case is that when the murders happened, the police came out and said publicly, there's no danger to the public and no one should be worried. This was a couple of days after the murders. Now they didn't have a suspect in custody. So what I think is really weird is, is if you don't have a suspect in custody in a double murder in this small town, how is that not a threat to public safety? That's a weird thing to have happen. And I realized that Murdoch wasn't arrested, uh, wasn't formally charged with these murders until, uh, I believe, June of 2022. Uh, he was already taken into custody at the end of 2021 because of this financial stuff right after he got a re- rehab for having an opioid addiction, which is what I want to kind of get into here in a minute. But so one of the things that, when I think about this case, that I don't know if it's really being talked about a lot because everybody keeps saying, oh, he, he had this opioid addiction and oh, how could he spend all this money on pills and everything? This is the thing. When you are an addict, you will do anything you can to get your drugs. Now, I know that some people might think it's far-fetched for someone to murder their wife and their son. But I know that there was a confrontation about pills. They knew he was an addict. There was, I believe, text message sending, you know, mom found the pills, we need to talk. But when you are an addict, and we have seen this with the opioid crisis, like this is what I don't understand that people don't seem to get. We've watched the opioid crisis completely, Ravish this country, especially in the Midwest where I am from. It has just done major damage on communities, families, individuals, businesses, so much so that people just do everything out of character to get their fix. You're talking about people that get injured on a job, that begin taking these pills, they get cut off from these pills, they then start to graduate to heroin, and then it becomes fentanyl, and then it destroys their lives takes up all their money and they're spiraling into addictions that are costing them sometimes thousands of dollars a day to take these pills, especially when you can't get them and they're illegal, the illegal market for this type of stuff. And there's supposed to be, there was a FDA diversion program that was supposed to really regulate how these pills come in to the black market, it's supposed to go from the facility where it's manufactured to the pharmacy, to the customer. Right. And that's that obviously is not the case because people are able to get these and sell them on the black market so and and there's a long history of this in in this country with people abusing prescriptions and doctors abusing the writings of these prescriptions and prescribing just tons of pills to these people right and that's created a problem but this is all in my opinion this is a real consequence of the opioid epidemic because now you have a guy And I believe that if this, if he did commit this crime, which he's on trial for it. And, and look, everybody's screaming about justice and he, oh, if he's guilty, he's not guilty, things of that nature. We have to think, you you know, bear in mind that during the trial yesterday, when he was testifying, he completely admitted to stealing all this money and robbing all these clients and uh, abusing his power at his law firm, P M P E D, pimped. And he. So he admitted to all that. So one way or another, if he goes to jail for these murders, which is just really, really tragic and unfortunate, he's most certainly going to jail for these other crimes that he committed because he's supposed to go on trial for those next. <laughs> so he just admitted in court that he, he committed those crimes. I mean, this whole thing is just so weird and it leads me to think back to like my father's trial and just, and I was discussing this with, with someone yesterday of that time around all this conjecture just begins flying in and around the communities, the small town communities of what happened, what, who was doing this. And now there's a lot of talk about potentially was he getting pills illegally? Was he somehow involved potentially because there's these checks that have been written to this, what, cousin Eddie? Uh, essentially for $50,000 at a time, was he paying someone who was extorting him? Was he somehow involved in a business that was selling these pills illegally? I don't find that too far fetched of a hypothesis in this scenario, because if you're trying to get your drugs and that is your 100% complete and utter, like that is why you are literally. literally functioning right now to take money, to consume drugs, because you are an addict. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything else becomes secondary to those drugs. That's why it's called addiction. That's why you see people destroy their lives this way. Could he have committed a double homicide of his wife and his son? I most certainly hope not, but yeah, he could have, if you're a drug addict and someone's standing in the way of you getting your fix, you will do anything. I remember when I went back to my small town, Mansfield, Ohio, somebody was talking to me, a friend of mine works at a bank. It's called Mechanics Bank. And she said to me, you know, we're getting two two robberies a week or whatever because addicts were coming in. This is back, I think, in like 2017, 2018. And just talking about the robberies that were happening or just the crazy stuff that people were doing. And because they're addicts, because they're addicted, because they're trying to get their fentanyl problem. And so... I'm not putting, I'm not trying to take any onus or responsibility off of Alec Murda or Alex Murda or however you pronounce his name. What I am saying is that he's, he's clearly was an addict for sure. And his behavior could have led him to do a number of things. I don't put it past him at all to do this, but I wonder why people aren't talking about this more because that is a... And maybe it's just really uncomfortable because people don't want to be like, oh, well, this person, people, they can't handle their drugs or they can't do this. Well, yeah, but also there was, when you listen to this Netflix documentary, all they're talking about is also the drinking and the boozing and and the partying that the family did. So you have a long history of substance abuse in the family, clearly, clearly. And I realize some people can handle their liquor. Some people can... But they're giving it, you know, according to this documentary, they're giving it to teenagers, the girlfriends of the boys, and they're all underage. Obviously, this boating accident happened when they're all underage, and they're all intoxicated, out of their mind, and and it led to the to the death of this young woman, this Mallory Beach. And I'm and I think to myself, why did anybody talk about that too? Why does anyone talk about the really glaring effects of of what may have caused all of this behavior? because he obviously admitted that because of his drug addiction, he was stealing money, not only to fuel that, but also he admits to fueling this wealthy lifestyle. But also if you are a drug addict and something is standing in your way, you are going to do whatever it takes. I hate to beat this point over and over and over again, but this needs to be a larger conversation because we're all, we've already seen this so much in our society. We've seen it just ravage communities individuals, businesses, just people in general as a whole. And to then see that this is what I believe. This is my conclusion that I've come to. This is the cause of all his behavior. It just boils down to this addiction. I totally believe that he could have, you know, he could have committed murder. And the number one question that I get from people all the time was, oh, was your father an alcoholic? Oh, was your father a a drug addict? Because they're looking for a way to justify his behavior. Unfortunately, he was not. He was just a psychopath, but (laughs) he just did it all because he's a narcissist and a psychopath, and it's all about him. And he thought he could get away with it. Murdering my mother. This guy, and everybody's saying, you know, he's so like, just kind of homely and kind of like a bumpkin. I think it's all drug fueled, man. I really do. It's a really sad thing. Anyways, uh, another sad thing (laughs) is uh, we are in the second anniversary now, starting the second year of the Ukraine-Russia war, which I gotta be honest with you. I look at this, I read about it. There are several members, there are several listeners in this audience that live in Ukraine and my heart goes out to you guys and what you're dealing with. There's so much surrounding this whole thing. I won't even really get into, but I don't see an end in sight. This is dangerous. This is a really, this is a really scary time. If you live in Europe, I think in a lot of ways, because you're also looking at people who you have to, (laughs) this is interesting. So we were doing a live meet and greet on my Patreon, which I do them every month on my Patreon. If you remember, I do live meet and greets where you guys can interact with me and it's super cool. And she said to me, she said, I don't understand, I live in Australia and I don't understand all of these school shootings in the United States. And weren't you guys supposed to put metal detectors in there years ago after Columbine, all these things? And I said, well, there are metal detectors in schools now. And she said, well, you know, wasn't it supposed to be everywhere across the country in every single school? And I was like, well, you know, but there's also budgets and there's taxes that fund school systems. And I think a lot of people understand how that works. And when you're not in a big city, you might not have those metal detectors. But the, the point that I wanted to drive home to her was just because there's metal detectors doesn't mean that somebody can't carry in a gun to a place. That doesn't deter anyone. What deters people is either fear of going to jail, fear, fear of dying, fear of death, your own concern, your own self-destruction. So therefore you won't do really bad things that you are not blinded by this just complete self-absorption to, to just the, commit this mass destruction that you go. Yeah, I'm going to have some restraint. I'm not going to do that. Like that's what we hope that a healthy person does in these situations, right? When I think back to this and I think back to my father's obviously unhealthy behavior, right? He was going to murder my mother no matter what, because he wanted to take her with her, take him with her to his new house in Erie, Pennsylvania and live his life with his new girlfriend and the children and all these things. And a new baby and start this new medical practice. And, and she would be, be there right underneath his feet. The very definition of a psychopath. That is somebody that does not care about the rule of law. And I think when you look at this war that's going on in Ukraine, you very much have the same type of thing going on, But it appears that, that people are stuck in the long haul for this war because they don't care about the consequences. It's come hell or high water. And I feel like that's got to change somehow. And I feel that like this really got heightened during the pandemic when people were like, I guess maybe the mentality is we're not going to live now. We're going to, we have this horrible pandemic. So we might as well do whatever we want, loot places, rob, steal commit acts of violence against one another it's just it's a lot of the same argument with the the police and people were talking about police brutality especially against people of color and doing things with you know unchecked power or uh, and protections it's it's all the same thing (laughs) whether you're using it in like a drug-fueled rage to commit a crime Uh, to get your fix or whether you're doing it because you, you feel that you're entitled somehow to be able to commit these crimes or that you feel that you, that you are the only authority that can do this, the vigilantism. I don't know what you call it, but it's a real, real problem. And I think about this a lot in relation to this Murdoch case, for example, and I talk about the intergenerational trauma That's one of the things that I've always tried to, especially with this program and doing my film, A Murder in Mansfield, and try to share with people. You have a choice whether you choose to carry on this generational trauma or not, whether you choose to carry on this trauma that you've been through and inflict this pain on others. It all starts somewhere, right? It all starts either when you're abused as a child, whether you go through traumatic experiences or you've just been through a massive traumatic experience as an adult, And then you inflict that pain on others around you, but you always have a choice to say, I'm not going to continue to carry on this way. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel it's right. That's the choice that I tried to make. And I say in the description of this podcast, so many people have been through massive amounts of trauma, but it's not what the trauma that ultimately defines you. It's what you choose to do about it that does and how you carry on how you move past it. Right. And I see looking at the Murdos, right. I see this intergenerational trauma. I see this affecting decisions. You see this guy's drug abuse leading to poor decisions that lead to, and whether or not Alec Murda or Alex Murda committed the crimes, the crime of murder against his wife and his son. His behaviors sure as hell led to that. I mean, there's no question his behavior led to that. And I'm not saying that that caused someone else to murder his family as a vendetta or anything like that. But there is a, just, it's like, I always say you reap what you sow, (laughs) you really do. And you see these things in life that make you go, yeah, I need to like live better. I don't want to be that person. I think that was for me, that's what started when I was a kid and this whole journey was like, I don't want to be that guy that my father is. I want to look in the mirror and go, okay, I'm not that guy. And it took me so long to get there. People often ask me when going to, when they watch the film and they, they don't quite understand that all of that was leading to me trying to find an answer for why my father wrote my mother. And my process of going through all of this and trying to really, really, really process what the murder, my family's involvement, my family's lack of involvement in my upbringing after the murder, me living in foster care, then being adopted and all these things. But again, it comes down to choice. And I hate to sound repetitive about this, but I think for me, I was always trying to find answers to how moving on was going to look. I mean, this podcast is a big part of that, right? you guys listening because you're examining my process of processing all of this. And that's why it leads me to even uncover these letters uh, from my father and, the, and these, you know, tape recordings of, of interviews that he's done over the years. And, you know, when the, you know, even the smear campaign, he started against my mother after he murdered her, after he was in prison, that's a big thing with narcissism that we, that we talk a lot about is that they, they start the smear campaign. They rally everyone around the person in order to discredit them, in order to shift the ground underneath the feet that they're walking on to make them look like the bad person, right? Because I think ultimately that suits the narrative that they're trying to create because if they can make them look like the bad person, then they're not the bad person, right? They're justified in whatever they did. I don't know if this Alex Murdaugh is that person or not. I don't know if he's, he doesn't, he may be a psychopath, but I think a lot of it is really drug fuel because there's not that moment of, of where you see this entitlement, well, they deserved this. It just might've been in his mind that he can't handle. And, I, and maybe even he himself was thinking about committing suicide. There's some real things to take away from this trial because now, you know, I think the defense is getting ready to rest and there's a lot of things. And, and he obviously admits guilt for committing these financial crimes. Which is again, going to send him up the river for probably a really long time if he doesn't go up the river for this murder. So as I keep looking at this case and, and, and watching these documentaries, I, I come to these conclusions that like, I'm not exactly sure if he's a psychopath, a cold bloody killer, or he's just a victim of the circumstances of this intergenerational trauma of the cycle. No one says, I'm going to stop these behaviors because why would you? You're getting away with it. You have unchecked power in the county of which your family has held the prosecutor's seat or the or solicitors seat. for years, this big law firm, a lot of this wealth that the family generated was from, I believe a, a paper mill or something that had, they had prosecuted, they had taken on all these civil cases against this mill to make money. So they were like the lead firm in all of this. So you're talking about a span of a really, really long time of a hundred years ish of absolute power and corruption. And I know I'm probably late to the party in saying this, but I think about that in relation to my own case and what I've been through and thinking about my father and all this, but look again, it doesn't really matter what I think. It's what you guys think. I wanna hear from you guys. What do you think? Do you think he's guilty? Do you think he's a psychopath? Do you think that he is just a victim of, of just a, a, a quagmire of just always, being able to get away with whatever, whatever you wanted. And then this addiction fueling all of that. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, we're going to find out really, really soon, but at the end of the day, there's no reason for any of this. There's no reason for it. You can all choose to break the cycle of what this looks like. Somebody can say, you know what? The buck stops here. I'm done. I'm moving past this. I hope that's what Buster Murdo chooses to do. I don't know. It's a weird thing. So anyways, I digress. We'll see how all this plays out. Tuesday, February 28th is my birthday. So feel free to reach out, message me. I love hearing from you guys. And check out my new merch store, callyourlandry.com forward slash store, official merchandise for this podcast. I'm Your Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Innocent.